Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the award-eligible Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is July 30th, and last night, Atlanta United was eliminated from the League's Cup, didn't make it out of the group stage with a 5-4 loss in penalty kicks to Cruz Azul. After the match ended 1-1 in regulation, it was another fantastic example of the team this season. One individual error on defense resulted in Cruz Azul's goal. Atlanta United had a lot of possession, couldn't really generate too many high-quality chances. Tiago Almada's goal, you know, he could take that shot a few times and it's probably not going to go in because it went through the legs of a Cruz Azul player before it curled into the lower right corner. The only reason Almada was able to take the shot is the ball was poked away by a Cruz Azul defender so, and it went right to him. And Almada was kind of falling down as he hit the ball. So... All in all, probably fairly lucky that the ball went in. But now Atlanta United has basically three weeks before it next plays. That will be August 20th at Seattle. It has one trophy left it can pursue this season. Now that it's been eliminated from this inaugural League's Cup, it's also was eliminated in the first round, basically the group stage equivalent, and the U.S. Open Cup to Memphis. So three trophies possible at the beginning of the season, down to one. The transfer window closes on Wednesday. I'll have some information about that sprinkled throughout this podcast. You're going to hear from Gonzalo Pineda. You're going to hear from Brad Guzan. You're going to hear from Amar Sadich. And you're going to hear from yourselves, who sent in many fantastic questions. As always, you can follow me on the Twitters at Doug Robertson AJC, and I'm not going to call it whatever the name it is now, uh, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. And if this is your first time listening to us, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. So before we get into some of the sound bites again from Pineda, Guzan, and Sadich, let's go through some of these stats from the match. The penalty kicks 5-4. Miguel Berries was saved. Uh, Juan Hoparata missed the goal entirely with his shot. He went sixth, and then Cruz still converted to secure the victory. Possession. Atlanta was the away team in this match for some reason. Atlanta dominated possession 60-40. to Expected goals. It finished 098 to 0.46 for Cruz Azul. 15 shots for Atlanta United, but only four were on goal. 
six and three for Cruz Azul, passing accuracy 88 to 76, 152 passes in the final third to 97 for Cruz Azul, but they got the first goal and that changes game states and that changes strategies and it changes tactics, particularly in a, in a must win tournament game. So, you know, it's hard to read too much into those numbers because things could change. If you want to look at some individual leaders, Yakamaki's led the team in shots with six, Almada shots on target with two, Almada chances created with three, Hazetu completed passes with 70, Almada 27 completed passes in the final third. Tristan Mayumba got his first start, performed really, really well, I thought. I thought he looked a little bit tired at the end of the first half because he hasn't played in two months. Some of y'all could not understand me saying that he looked tired. It was just me saying he looked tired and thought that I was trying to hate on him or something, which is just the ridiculous state of social media. Uh, it was more the team needed a goal and needed to try something different. So you take off a player who has barely played for the team and who might be tired and put on somebody else. It's really that simple. But, you know, think whatever you want to think. All right, we're going on to Gonzalo Pineda. And if the team was clinical enough on both sides of the ball, which is something he said they had to be on Friday when previewing the game. Who we'll say yes, it's just the final the final execution in the in the attacking half, I think we were not as clinical as, as I wanted, but um, yeah, uh, I think we did a good game. Yeah, I don't really understand that answer, to be honest with you, and, and to be honest with Pineda. He said, yes, we were, but then but we need to refine the execution so that that is no, they weren't. Uh, and frankly, they weren't. The goal by Cruz Azul happened because Ronald Hernandez left his man to go and try to win a duel with a man who was already marked by Miles Robinson, neither Miles nor Ronald won that duel, and the player headed the ball to his teammate, who was wide open at the back post. Easy goal. Ronald, to his credit, I asked him after the match, why did you do that? And he said he thought he would win the duel. I appreciate him talking. You know, it's decisions in games, but it's these individual mistakes. And that was a mistake. Nada said it was a mistake after the game that this team just cannot overcome. And it happens every game. Usually multiple times a game, there's been a few matches where they haven't, or if they have, they weren't punished. We didn't notice them. So now the team has three weeks. And so ask Pineda, what is the team going to focus on? First of all, continue with the integration of Tristan, uh, the integration of maybe, you know, a couple of players that may come. And then I think we have to take this game as an example of what we have to do every time we're on the field. I think the level of commitment, the aggression that we show in the pressing, the um, collective organization to disrupt the opponent from the back. I think we had a very, very good game in terms of build-up player from the goal kick, um, creating chances, dangerous chances. I think, uh, of course, defensively, uh, you know, solidifying the back line is a big point of emphasis for us. Uh, where I think still overall in the big scheme of things we we are doing a good job, but obviously those lapses, those moments where those individual mistakes are hurting the team. So we will try to message that, to play with a little bit more. It's not even urgency because today's mistake was out of a lot of urgency. We made the mistake. So so kind of um, understand better better those moments. And then the final third, I would say that, that we were very good against a team that, of course, is very experienced, that they knew how to play this type of matches. Uh, so they, they play a bit of a deeper line. And it was challenging for us to create ch- uh, chances, but we did. Um, but still, we will try to emphasize more in 
a little bit more patience in the final third, uh, whether it is um, we, we go on one side and then we are forcing things in there where maybe it's not the time and we have to move the ball fast side to side, trying to go on the other side and, and try to unbalance better the back line to create better type of chances. I think that's a point of emphasis and of course the finalization of our place, like being picking the better crosses, picking the better through balls, the right movements and, and the right finishing. The, the the last touch, I think, we're missing. So th those will be the emphasis, very likely. Yeah, I, I don't know as a coach how you fix decision-making, uh, such as the Hernandez decision. I don't know how you fix that. I can understand what he's talking about, him being able to try to fix the attack, the the lack of patience on offense, the the sometimes just forcing things when they're not there just because it's a, a lack of experience or, or maybe just game maturity, so to speak, those kind of things. I can understand how he can fix that. But no one coaches a player to leave a man unmarked at the back post to go mark somebody who's already covered. It, it doesn't happen. He mentioned you know, a couple of signings. I do anticipate the team announcing a couple of signings this week. That They confirmed that to me. I tweeted that on Friday. Transfer window closes on Wednesday. I know the team is trying to pursue a winger and a backup striker. I, I've tweeted that several times. I've written that a couple of times, I think. So obviously a backup striker, probably not a consistent difference maker. The winger they're hoping is going to be a difference maker because it's not team's not getting a lot out of those positions right now. We're going to get to that in a minute. The final touch that Pineda was talking about. The past two games, Yakamakis has had just a difficult, torrid time being able to get the ball in a position to shoot. It happened a couple of times against Miami. It happened a couple of times against Cruz Azul where he got the ball and just could not pull the trigger. And that happens. But that's kind of what he's talking about. Or sometimes the ball just hits the foot. It goes out of bounds. That's just technique, which they can work on. Can't fix, but they can work on trying to improve. The, those kind of little things. Now, we're going to hear from Baguzan. And some of you on Twitter – and I know this is the point of Twitter sometimes is to just be snarky and and say things. But those who are blaming Guzan for not stopping a penalty kick, I don't know if you've ever taken a penalty kick in any kind of a, a truly competitive match or with stakes on the line or been a goalkeeper in a penalty kick. It's set up for the offensive player to win. It's that simple. It's saying that Guzan didn't move on a couple of kicks. Well, so what? Maybe the team scouted that the player was going to go down the middle. It's it's a guessing game. If you guess right, you look brilliant. If you guess wrong, well, that's how it's set up. So, you know, if you want to blame Guzan for some stuff, that's, you know, that's up to you. But you can't blame him for not stopping a penalty kick. It, it's just, it's, it, it, that's just ridiculous to me. But here's Guzan talking about the difference between last night's performance and Tuesday's 4-0 loss to Miami. There was there was quite a few things. I think there was bravery. I think there was aggressiveness. There was um, uh, just a willingness to um, go forward and and not necessarily with the ball, but defensively as well. Um, I, I thought our, our back line, the midfielders, whatnot, right? Um, understanding uh, just different moments in the game. Uh, that allowed us to regain the ball higher up the field. Um, you know, on another night, maybe we capitalize on one or two of those. The, good insight from Brad. 
I do need to say, and I, f- I forgot to say this at the beginning, Ozzy Alonso was taken to the hospital after the match last night, uh, complaining of some, well, complaints not a good word, describing abdominal pain. Do not have an update yet here at uh, almost noon about Ozzy. As soon as uh, I'm, I get one, I will tweet and post a story. But here's hoping that Ozzy is, is feeling better. I couldn't even begin to theorize what abdominal pain might be. But here's Guzan talking about the play of Tristan Miyumba. Again, first start, first minutes for the team last night. I thought he and Huzetu and Sadich uh, combined really well last night. Miyamba, I liked his aggressiveness in getting forward with the ball. I liked that he would attack people. I think that's some of the things the team wants. I would just caution, just it was just one game. Don't start saying that he's the answer or he's the next Nagby or he's the next whatever player you want to say he's the next of. It was one game. I can remember some of you thinking – that another midfielder on this team, or two other midfielders, were the next great things based upon a couple of early performances, and we now know, you know, what they are. So just let them breathe, let them learn, and let's just see what happens. But but don't be so quick to anoint. Yeah, I thought he was great. I thought he was really good, especially com- combining with with Thiago, with Amar, uh, with Gigi. Uh, little combination plays in around the center of the field, and then the, his ability to. You know, you, you saw it a little bit, just elude a, a defensive player, not even by touching the ball, just his body shape, his transferring of his weight to go from one side to the other. Uh, he's going to be a big player for us going forward. Now, before we get to Amar Sadich, I want to address a couple of moments in the game that were causing y'all some, some uh, teeth-clenching consternation last night. The first was Yakamaki's. I don't know if he was taken down or if he tripped over a player in the opening two minutes in the penalty box. No VAR, VAR on that play. I, I get that. The second was Brooks Lennon chasing down a Cruz Azul player who kicked the ball, and the ball went off his own hand. And a lot of you were shouting for handball, handball, handball. I understand. IFAB rules state that if a player kicks the ball off his own hand, it is not a handball. It's uh, it, Look it up. It's in the rules. So by the rules, it was not a handball. It certainly wasn't intentional. He was trying to clear the ball, and as he's kicking it with his right foot and he's swinging his left arm for balance, not an unnatural motion, not making himself bigger, the ball hit his hand. It's not a handball. You could say it is, you could be mad about it, but it's not a handball. And if that happened to an Atlanta United player doing that, there's no way you would be saying it's a handball. So that's always a good rule of thumb. Ask yourself, what would I say if this happened to an Atlanta United player, and then you know, think about what you want to say. Here's Amar Sadich on how the team can bounce back from this loss. It's football. Uh, it's a tournament we lost. We have 10, 12 more games in the MLS season. That's what I look forward to. And it's, yeah, I, I think we played a great game tonight. And it's bitter, but uh, yeah, it's how the game goes. He's right. It is soccer. Sometimes it's how the game goes. And here's Sadich on how the team can work on being more clinical on offense. It's just training. And uh, putting ourselves in those situations uh, with the way that we build the ball up into the final third and then uh, look to kind of create one-twos, slip passes, um, more crosses. Yeah, just that's that's what we need to do. So there you go. That's basically what Pineda said, too, earlier in his answer. When we come back, we're going to dive into the mailbag. Although, who carries a mailbag anymore? i got to come up with a better name for that, too. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs. And I'm Ned Ravone. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you can get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. But just don't bring coins into the office and drop them off, please. That's all of our sports coverage, our politics, our breaking news, our investigations, our food and dining, and so much more on AJC.com. Plus, access to our e-paper and our assortment of newsletters. So join our community by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what is really going on. And you should always want to know what is really going on. I would think I always want to know what's really going on. And I am the center of my universe. So there you go. Before we get into the mailbag, I want to give a big thanks to my friend, Harry who is a soccer reporter in Austria, in Upper Austria, uh, who has in-laws in Kennesaw, who comes to the Metro Atlanta area twice a year. We met for the first time last year. He just kind of cold emailed me. He came back with a family for summer vacation. We went to a Braves game together with his lovely family. And Lenny United was nice enough last night to uh, issue him a credential. And he came to Mercedes-Benz Stadium, sat in the press box, went to the postgame stuff. Just a really good guy. And it's always fun meeting people from around the world who kind of have the same job that I have. Harry's a fantastic soccer reporter, been to several World Cups, just a good guy. And also want to say hi to Bill, who uh, I met again in Fado's after the EPL doubleheader, which is a whole nother rant I'm not going to go into on the podcast. But it was nice to meet you, Bill, and I appreciate you uh, buying me a cold one. Now, to get into the mailbag, we didn't have any voicemails. Y'all really need to consider using the voicemail line now because Twitter has made it very, very difficult for you to send me DMs because I'm not verified. And as far as I know, the paper is not going to pay for me to get verified. I don't even know what the cost is, and nor do I really care. But the voicemail line is 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. Quick and easy way to send in your thoughts about Atlanta United for me to address. Steve is going to start us off because he sent in several questions last night. Thank you, Steve. Pineda said he likes his best penalty takers to go first. Obviously, he didn't do that tonight, preferring for his best to go last. I, I don't know why that's obvious, nor do any of us know who is the best penalty kick taker on Atlanta United. In a competition, it may have been Brooks Lennon. He went one. He may have made more than anybody. So I, I don't know how it's obvious that the best didn't go first. His second question, the transfer window has now been open for three weeks. Two starters have left. One has come in. Why has his team been unable to sign backup strikers, which shouldn't be major money or a unique roster spot? It's not that they've been unable. I fully anticipate they're going to, but sometimes contract negotiations, you know, they could take a little bit. 
especially if the player is coming from a foreign country, which I assume this player is going to. I mean, I, I have a good idea who the player is. I'm not going to say who it is because the contract isn't done. And it's just it's how it is. It's not a video game. You can't just hit X and sign the player. There's back and forth. Third question. The team tweeted that Miyumba is the team's new number eight. That means Sedich and Huzetu were the best choices for the 10 and 6 in a knockout game against a Liga Emeki's team. Are the winger options so poor that Almada at the 10 is not a good option? If not, then is there a disconnect between Lagerway wanting the best players at the middle and Gonzalo's game day strategies? I don't understand this question. They put Almada on the wing just to try to give him some space to influence. They figure Cruz Azul is going to pack the middle, which a lot of opponents have done. So Atlanta United was trying to counter that tactic. So you put Almada out on the wing and try to control the middle and draw people in and then put Almada into space. Four, how long can we hear the same post-game press conference and not see effective changes at some level of the team? Lagerway said this tournament was important and that a home playoff game was the expectation Four wins in the last 17 aren't getting us there. Well, I mean, they did just sign a new central midfielder. They are going to try to sign a a DP-level winger and a backup striker, so there are changes coming that way. Pineda can only work with the players he has, and I think we can all see that as long as these individual errors keep happening, there's only so much he could do with the roster that, that he's been given. You know, it seems like Etienne has lost his spot in the rotation. He was the prize free agent signing. Uh, Mosquera has been Pineda's choice the past couple of games to come off the bench. Mosquera creates excitement, but there's just no end product. And we're now, I think, past 70 appearances for him, and there's just no end product. Nice guy, funny guy in the few times we've spoken to him. But right now, he reminds me of Jurgen Dom in that you have expectations, but there's just no stats. And he's young. So that, you know, maybe that'll happen. I talked earlier about game maturity and. Sometimes it takes 100 games for a player to, to finally be able to slow down and settle down. It never happened for Dom. Maybe it'll happen for Mascara. You don't ever want to see somebody's career not work out. That's just not not cool. So we'll see. Maybe he's just that type of guy that he really needs all those minutes, and then things kind of slow down, and and he could take advantage of the gifts that, that he has. We says, uh, I'm so glad I did not sign up for Apple TV and have to pay to watch this corpse of a memory of a team. I already have to shell out extra to get Bally for the Braves and Hawks. And when AU was on Bally, we still watched a lot of games. I would guess AU is happy with the Apple deal as it doesn't matter if no one is watching, they still get a check. Well, that's also true of the Braves and Hawks on Bally. MLS is at best a double A or maybe triple A equivalent of baseball. And it's the XFL of soccer. Okay. How do we know that if there weren't other baseball leagues around the world in bigger countries that Major League Baseball wouldn't be double-A AA or triple-A? We don't because there's no competition. The convoluted salary rules would keep it that way. I fear we AU fans saw the best of the, at the beginning and we'll never see again. Wake me when the season's over. All right. Michael says, I hope you're okay. My questions for you this day are thusly. And thusly, we came to this and this became thusly. What will the team be doing over the next three weeks? They'll be training and integrating new players. I've written a story that hopefully you'll see pop up on the line soon about that. How many practices and meetings are they contractually required to attend? Well, all of them. You know, more practice might be good for them. 
what are what am I going to do over the next three weeks? Well, I'm going to continue covering the team and hopefully writing some new stories and doing some other things. Last question, what are three great things you can name about Parata? He's a nice guy. He's got a good laugh. I've made him laugh a couple of times. I don't know. I think some of y'all would say he's a good-looking guy. Zach says, this is Zach from Shambly. As a middle school teacher, bless you, Zach. That's cool, man. I tell my students that failure and mistakes are important in the process toward improvement. Very well said. I was really happy with Mayumba's performance tonight, but this loss particularly stings. I'm struggling to see how the team will improve or what we've learned after the result. What do you think we learned tonight? And is there anything that makes you hopeful about the rest of the season? I think uh, we learned that Mayumba has potential. Uh, it was good to see. I thought Huzetu played well, too. And, you know, I banged on him uh, for a while. I thought he had a really good game last night. And I believe he got married earlier this week. So congratulations to Huzetu. It was good to see Sadich back in. I was curious to see how the Robinson-Abram pairing would go. And I thought that that went pretty well. We learned that the offense is still a work in progress. It's really weird. I mean, the team has scored uh, like the second or third most goals in Major League Soccer, but has vastly outperformed its, expect, its expected goals. So now you're starting to see a regression, so to speak. The numbers are catching back up. What do I see that makes me hopeful about the rest of the season? The team is what it is. Um, if it could just eliminate the individual mistakes, that would go a long way toward you know, they would have won the game last night if not for that one mistake. Adam says, in case you didn't explain it earlier in the podcast, why wasn't there a handball PK given to Atlanta in the first half? I did explain it. IFAB rules state that if a player kicks the ball off his own hand, it is not a handball. It is a rule. So it was the correct call. I thought Miyumba looked lively and made some good runs, kept the ball moving, and tried to drive the team forward. Early signs, but good signs. Thought Mascara played comparably well, too. At least they're moving, which is more than I can say for Barry. All right. I'm not altogether miffed about Atlanta not advancing, but I think the straight-to-PK approach makes the event even more cheap than it already is. If they want the tournament to carry a sense of value, I'd much prefer they play extra time. Thoughts? I didn't mind going right to PKs. I think that this was probably a concession to Liga Emekis, whose season has just started. So maybe they're not as fit, and adding on the extra minutes uh, would not be fair to them. And because it is a made-up tournament, you can make up the rules. So I didn't mind it very much. Deb Boonville, friend of the podcast, says, Generally a goose defender, but wow, that was the most pathetic penalty kick goal defense I can recall. I, again, I don't understand the the attacks of Guzan in a penalty kick situation. I don't. It's a guessing game. Whether you guess standing in the middle, guess going to the right, or guess going to the left, it's a guessing game. Wren says, why Miguel Berry over Tyler Wolf as the last-minute sub? I think Wolf has seven shots with four goals. Uh, Barry seven shots, one goal. Why not both? Why Parata on the PK over Wiley? Maybe Wiley was subbed off. I don't remember. I think Wiley was subbed off. And once you get past five, I think it's whichever player has the courage to step up and try. So, you know, credit to Parata for being the guy to say, I'll take it. It's, uh, you know, unfortunate for him that he missed it. But, again, it's sports. Things happen. Uh, why Wolf over Barry? I I assume Barry's a better penalty kick taker than Wolf. Uh, or maybe they wanted his height in. He came in, I think, to help defend a set piece is when he came in for Huzetu. So that may have been part of it too. Robert says, I get emotional. I think we all do. 
he says, with the four-year doldrum that the team has been in. I'll even get mad at Pineda for starting Huzetu. I thought Huzetu played well last night. Anyway, I'm realizing how good the game state looked, and we just need the midfield defense and goalie to stop hemorrhaging negative opportunities. I still think Pineda is the person you want at the helm until he proves otherwise. All right. Appreciate that, Robert. Thank you. Eric with a K. Friend of the podcast says he has to say that Muyumbo looked really good and is encouraged to see him do well right off the bat. I, we were hoping to talk to Muyumbo last night, but he left before we could get to the mixed media zone, which stinks because I was hoping to write a whole other story about him. Eric continues putting on your optimist hat for a moment. What could be the silver lining of having the next three weeks off to reboot while a lot of MLS is still playing? You know, you tired legs and get re-energized you can integrate new players into the team if nato wants to make some sort of formational and tactical adjustment they can really work it really drill it that's some of the advantages do you think the two new signings will be in early enough to take advantage of that training and conditioning time as always thank you and keep up the stellar job and keep ignoring the haters thank you eric i appreciate it if they get announced this week you got to think their visa should come in around the time of the seattle game but they can't train with the team until the visas arrive. They can only do individual work. So you may not see them in the Seattle game, but you should see them soon thereafter. Luke says, hey, Mr. Doug, without saying names, do you know who the two signings are? I have an idea who they are. I'm not going to say who they are. Also, are you optimistic the team can make the playoffs as at least a seven seed? Yeah, I am. Yep. I am optimistic the team will make the playoffs. Though it is trending the wrong way right now, I do think it'll bounce back. Josh with the questions of the week. I love the pod and appreciate you asking guys tough questions before or after games. Well, some people don't think I do, but some people also have no idea how I'm supposed to do my job, nor have they ever done this job. And so really, they don't know what they're talking about. I do think Saturday's game against Cruz Azul is massive. Well, he sent this before the game. We all know what happened. So he wants to know about the grass at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And he asked a lot of questions in a very eloquent email. And I'm going to go into this. And in a couple of weeks, I'm going to write one more story about the grass or lack of grass at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And then, to be quite honest with you, I'm not going to answer any more questions about this on Twitter. Because I've explained this many, many, many times in stories and on Twitter. And I keep getting asked these same questions. And it's frustrating and it's aggravating. You know, if someone puts in the time to do a job and they think they do it well, and then they keep getting asked the same questions because someone doesn't Google or doesn't follow, it gets, you know, it's a little discouraging. And that's not a slam at you, Josh, because you did write a very eloquent email and I very much appreciate it. So let's just go into the history of grass at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. There is turf at Mercedes-Benz Stadium because there are too many events at the stadium to try to maintain grass. That's reason number one. Way too many events. Mercedes-Benz Stadium is not just Atlanta United and not just the Atlanta Falcons. There are events almost weekly, both private and public, at the stadium. The stadium was constructed in a way that sunshine can't get to all corners of the field, so you can't keep the grass growing because of that reason. Another reason, it is very, very expensive. So, okay, let me rewind this. Let's say that that A&B Sports Entertainment wants to bring in grass for every Atlanta United home match or every Falcons match. Can't be done. It simply can't. It takes a week 
to install grass into the stadium at a cost of around $300,000 per pop. Once you cut that grass from a turf farm, it starts to die. So you have a very, very, very small window to get that grass to the stadium from the turf farm, put it down, keep it growing long enough to look good, to play well for teams. Football would absolutely destroy a field. Soccer, the grass held up well in the two games of Wednesday's doubleheader. But by the end of the night, you could see brown spots that weren't there before. They went to great, great pains to get that grass from the turf farm to Mercedes-Benz Stadium in a manner that would keep that grass growing long enough to look good and to play well for those games. That is among the reasons that they can't just drop grass in whenever they want to at the stadium. Now, it is going to come in for the World Cup. That will be controlled by FIFA. AMB Sports Entertainment has nothing to do with that. That will The grass will be picked by FIFA, paid for by FIFA, rolled in by FIFA, maintained by FIFA, etc., etc., etc. So, that is why there is not grass at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. That is why there will always be turf at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. If you want to complain about it, that's fine. But those are the facts. I think they're facts that make sense. It is what it is. And if you want to say, well, Arizona has the grass on a track that they roll in, that's not working out so well. It is working decently at Wembley. But there is no place to put that grass at Mercedes-Benz Stadium if they did want to put it on a track. The area is too grown around. There's nowhere to do that. So, all right. We should have some news this week with some signings. We'll see. Hopefully, we're going to get some positive news here on Ozzy Alonso. I'll tweet and post as soon as I get that. Atlanta United eliminated from the League's Cup by Cruz Azul 5-4 after six rounds of penalty kicks following a 1-1 draw in regulation. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at at Atlanta United News Now. I hope that you'll consider subscribing to the paper. Hug your loved ones. Communicate with your loved ones. This is Southern Fried Soccer. Y'all take care.